No filter. Did you ever wonder why we're so addicted to social media? Like why it is that we're so drawn to it? I mean, sure, there's lots of things we can think about. We can think about how it gives us this platform to put all of our opinions out there. Uh, social media is obviously amazing for communication with people. It's a great way to kind of connect with people. But really, I think it's all about the pictures, right? Doesn't it come down to the pictures? Facebook, Instagram, they give us this avenue to post selfies, to post family pictures and, and uh, profile pictures so that we can see how many likes we can get and we can base our entire value and self-worth based on people's responses to our pictures or lack thereof, right? Isn't that kind of the way it works? But why do we do this? Well, it seems like we are trying to constantly convince the world and maybe even convince ourselves that we can be valuable people whether that's we can be perfect people or the picture-perfect family, that we have worth, that our life is, is worth it. And when in reality, behind the pictures, away from social media, the truth is we all have our issues, right? <laughs> behind the pictures, we are all pretty complicated. I want to put up a few pictures that my wife recently posted on Facebook of our family. Okay, um, let me tell you. Here's some pictures... Uh, that many of you responded to recently saying incredibly kind things like, what a beautiful family you have, or my, how your kids have grown up, or you guys are such a great couple, fantastic couple. And I'm grateful for that. It's very kind that people say things like that. But we all know what's behind the pictures, right? So my wife and I, uh, you know, we have a great marriage, and I'm really, really grateful for it. But the truth is, you can look at that picture in the middle that she put up as her profile picture recently, and you can say, man, those two must have a smoking hot relationship. <laughs> like, those two must love each other. Man, whew. And what do we do? We start to compare. I wonder what my relationship looks like in a picture compared to their relationship right now. You know, and the, re the truth behind the picture is, the reality is, I love my wife deeply, and she loves me but we work really hard to have a great marriage. And by the grace of God and learning how to love each other unselfishly, I work really hard to learn how to love her well, and she works really hard to learn how to love me well, and we try to work together to raise a family together and parent together, and it's a lot of hard work, and it doesn't always feel like that picture. It doesn't. But that's what, what's kind of behind the picture. And you look at the pictures of my family on the outside, and there might be all kinds of things that you might think about our family. And, and uh, first of all, some of you think that's crazy. Those guys are ridiculous. Why, why did they ever think they could handle six or seven kids? Um, maybe more, depending on the season that we're in. Who knows? Uh, but in all of that, the truth is you might look at that picture, but what's going on behind that picture is... I've got 6.5 kids right now, if you count the little guy we're fostering, and they're everywhere from 19 months all the way to 20 years old. They're in different stages of growth and development. They all have different needs. They're all seeking different things. And, and it's complicated. Like, it's complicated to be a family together when you've got all those pieces going on. So who are we? We're just a family that's learning how to trust God the same way anybody else is. But you'll never, not necessarily read that from the picture, from the picture, you just get eight or nine people who are all smiling really big and happy to be at the beach uh, in that moment. But this is the way uh, uh, social media works. And, and let me share this with you. I've heard that they've actually done studies to determine why people comment or why they choose to like other people's posts. And can you, know, can you guess what the number one reason is why people choose to like someone else's post? 
The number one reason is that they hope that when they post a meaningful picture, that those people will like their picture in return. That's the number one reason. This is as sick as the Christmas card syndrome that was out there for many years. How about it? Well, we have to send these people a Christmas card because they've always sent us one, right? How much anxiety has this caused women over the years? Uh, I hate to categorize that one, but most men do not, are not taking care of the Christmas card department. Uh, there are exceptions to this, uh, but, but for the most part, ladies, the stress of, that this has caused you over so many years. So what is going on with our desire to be affirmed in, through social media? Well, what I think is going on is this. There's this conflict between who we are and who we think we're supposed to be. There's this conflict going on between who we really are and who we think others expect us to be or who we think others want us to be. And that conflict plays out for the whole world to see as we post these these, uh, carefully managed images on Facebook or Instagram. How do we want ourselves to be seen so that we feel we'll be acceptable to what others, what the expectations of others are of us? Now, I'm not condemning Facebook or Instagram or anything else. As a matter of fact, most of you know that uh, I do not have a presence on Facebook. I kind of stalk all of you through my wife's Facebook account, and I really do enjoy looking at your pictures, uh, but it's uh, one of those things for me that I have no responsibility to respond to anyone. I am uh, doing everything I can just to keep up with my inbox via email. Uh, social media would be a whole other pressure for me to feel like I need to interact with people. But I love, I love seeing people's lives. I love knowing what's going on as people, um, you know, walk through different seasons with their family and being able to celebrate with people. But I do think this whole picture of social media speaks to this challenge that we need to take on this morning and that we're going to take on throughout this series. And that's the challenge to understand this conflict that goes on within us and really embrace, fully embrace who we really are so that we can live the lives that God has called us to live with no filters. No filters, right? There's freedom in no filters. We want, and if we're going to experience the blessing that God has planned for us to experience, we need to live our lives that way. And this starts by admitting that we're all pretty complicated, right? We could just admit that. It's okay to be complicated because the Bible tells us that that's the way that God designed us, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that we're complex in, the nature, in our nature. And that's how God made us. And you see this play out in Scripture in so many different ways. Moses was the deliverer of God's people from Egypt, but he was also a murderer. That's pretty complex. There was Abraham, who was called the father of many nations, but he was a liar. There was David, who was a man after God's own heart, but he committed adultery and betrayed one of his closest advisors and friends. That's complicated. There's Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he denied he even knew Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. That's complicated. And if you're complicated, you need to know this morning you're in good company. God loves complicated people. God uses complicated people. God embraces complicated people. And if you thought that only perfect people are the ones who are worthy to be loved by God or only perfect people are the ones who can serve God and make a difference in the world, you've been misinformed. And so what we want to do in this series is talk about what it means to live our life with no filter, even if we're complicated people. And here's what I want you to experience this morning. I want us to have an honest encounter with ourselves and with God as we start to unpack the life of one of the most complicated people in all of Scripture, and that's Jacob. And Jacob, through his life, is going to demonstrate to us how God loves and has compassion for and hangs in there with complicated people throughout their life. So today we're going to look at three events 
three moments in the life of Jacob that show how complicated he really is, but really three principles, three things that we can hang on to as we look at Jacob's life. And we're going to start, we're going to be in Genesis all morning, but we're going to start in Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to look at verses 21 through 26. If you have your Bible with you, you might want to open to Genesis 25. Uh, Your outline has all the scripture in it, as always, this morning, so you can follow along there as well. But let's start in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. The first principle that we see there is this. Number one, we won't experience God's blessing if we compare ourselves to other people. We won't experience God's blessing if we compare ourselves to other people. Verse 21 says this, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. Babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So Isaac prays and his wife, Rebecca, becomes pregnant. There may have been more involved to her getting pregnant, but all scripture tells us is that Isaac prayed and that happened. But she finds herself a little too pregnant. What I mean by that is she's carrying twins. She's uncomfortable. And she says, what's going on? Why are these babies struggling so much inside? Why is this pregnancy so difficult? And apparently in that time, the sonogram machine was out of order, so she takes the next best option, and she says, God, what's going on? I need to ask, I need to know what's happening inside of me. And this is what the Lord said to her. The Lord said, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. Let's pause right there for a minute. Uh, Some of you you have this problem. You're red and hairy. Uh, Listen, here's the part of the story coming up that I want you to pay attention to. I wanted to stop here because I really want you to hear this. This is the account of Jacob's birth, along with his brother Esau but it's a foreshadowing of the life that Jacob is going to live from this day forward. And this is why this is important. Verse 26. After this, his brother, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So catch this now. Jacob comes out with his hand grasping his brother's heel who had come out first. So his name is Jacob, which literally means heel grabber, okay? How would you like to be named heel grabber? This is what Jacob becomes known as. So in spite of this promise that's given to uh, Rebekah when she seeks the Lord, why is this happening within me? He tells her there's two nations. The, the older will eventually serve the younger. So there's this promise of blessing to the younger, and this goes on, this, this promise uh, becomes true or, or, or plays out in that the descendants of Esau become the Edomites, and throughout all of King David's reign, the Israelites, who are the descendants of Jacob, rule over the Edomites uh, for hundreds of years through that period. So this prophecy is fulfilled. The younger or the older will serve the younger, or the, the, older will, the younger will rule over the older. But in spite of all this, In spite of this promise, Jacob would live his life feeling like he was in the shadow of his brother Esau. Because you see, in that culture, to be born first was a privilege. It was an honor. The firstborn would receive a far greater inheritance 
than any of the other siblings just because of the order of his birth, because he became first. So Jacob's hand was grasping Esau's heel in a very desperate attempt to be first. Instinctively, something in Jacob was wrestling in the womb, even before birth, and wrestling at birth to be first. So you get this picture of these babies in Rebecca's womb together, and they're fighting it for who's going to get out first. Like, even before birth, Jacob has this instinct within him to try to fight, to position himself. Where does this come from? If I can just be first, if I can just get there first, if I can be seen, if I can be known, if I get there first, I'll be valued. This is a theme in Jacob's life, and we're going to see it throughout this entire series. It's like Jacob is born with a me-first mentality. And this jealous mentality is what caused Jacob to be constantly comparing himself to his older brother, striving to get ahead, striving to to get one up on his brother. And I think that's the kind of culture that we all live in. We live in this me-first culture in which subconsciously, even if it's not conscious, we're all striving to get ahead. We're all striving to be recognized. And we're constantly confronted with this desire to compare ourselves with those around us trying to show everyone or prove to ourselves that we can perform well, that we aren't complicated, that we do have value, that we can make a way for ourselves and we can be seen and noticed. And what's amazing is that this mentality doesn't even seem to be something that has to be learned because Jacob was already doing it in the womb and on his way out. He was the heel grabber. And like Jacob, our propensity as as complicated human beings is to show everybody that we're better, that we're more important, that we're more desirable than those that we find ourselves around. I don't know how you've seen this play out in your family, maybe in your family of origin as you grew up, you saw that play out, maybe you see it playing out in your family today. My son Andre, who is five, consistently tells us things that he is great at. So, The interesting thing is, he's never done many of the things that he claims to be awesome at. Let me give you an example. Andre says he's a phenomenal skateboarder. And whenever we see anything having to do with skateboarding, he begins to tell us how good he is at skateboarding. We don't even own a skateboard. (laughs) And there's many areas like that that Andre tells us how good he is in different things. You know, we have a big family. Andre's trying to say... I'm good at things too. Notice me. Let me grab the heel of someone ahead of me, pull them back and push myself ahead. Someone tell me I have value. Somebody tell me I have worth. Annie, who is six, uh, went to her back to school night the other night and there was this little booklet that was left on the desk and uh, she had put this book together as All About Me by Annie. And so it goes through, I am six years old and then it says, my favorite color is rainbow, which is unique. Uh, my favorite book is Pete the Cat, which I liked. And special headline news, read all about it. You are good at doing something special. And then Annie put, I am good at math. And then right, her example of that was four minus five equals six. <laughs> I will hang on to this for a long time. I am good at math. She's the best. 
You know, we're constantly trying to prove to others that we have value, that we have worth, that we can hold our own, that we're good at stuff, right? And for some of us, we try to prove to God that we're worth his time also. How often does our comparison of ourselves to others drive us to act in a way that make, makes others, and we hope God, see the good things that we're doing? The church or church investment or community investments that we're making the boxes that we're checking in our pursuit of being a good Christian, of being someone who's trying hard to follow after Jesus. And this is all done in an effort to say, look at me, everyone. Look at me, God. Approve of me. I want to have value and worth. We want to get ahead. We want to be first, just like Jacob, even in things as sacred as our faith or as our relationship with Christ. And this plays out differently for everyone. For, for some of us, the reason that, that we have that tendency to compare ourselves to others is rooted in the shame that maybe we feel about our past. Maybe something's happened in your past that you're ashamed of, and you're constantly trying to play off of that and say, I have value and worth, because we know our past, and then we see others who seem to have it all together, and we think that there's no reason that God should love us as much as he loves them. There's no way that we deserve acceptance from God, much less deserve a loving relationship with him. And the good news for us is that God can see our hearts and that he patiently loves us right where we are on the journey because God sees us as his beloved children. And he sees us and loves us so much that he sent Jesus on our behalf to conquer our sin, what we deserve, death, and hell. He sent Jesus to conquer that for us and made an eternal investment in each of us that says, I'm going to love you in a way that you've never thought possible. But our desire to be first and get ahead can often blind us to God's love. And if we go back to Jacob and we follow the story and his interactions with his brother, we see that he has a hard time not comparing himself to others, especially his brother. Jacob wasn't satisfied with his position in his family. He compared himself to Esau, always wanting to be ahead of him. And time after time, we see ways that Jesus, or that East, Jacob is looking for ways to take what he thought was his rightful place ahead of Esau and the family. And as we see this play out in his life, he consistently lives up to his name, heel grabber. So this is my question for you this morning. Who do you compare yourself to? Whose heel are you grabbing to try to pull ahead? Whose life are you looking at thinking they have it all together and if only you could be a little bit more like that or put yourself a little bit ahead of them that you would gain the acceptance that you're looking for? Comparing yourself to others will never lead you to experience God's blessing. It will never lead you to experience the blessing that God has for you. Never. Paul says it. He says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, when we compare ourselves to others, it's foolishness. It's foolishness. God didn't design us to be anybody else. He designed a blessing that's unique for us. He designed a life that's unique for us, and yeah, it's complicated. We're all complicated. Jacob, then we see, falls into another behavior that keeps him from the blessing that God had for him, and that's the second principle that we're going to look at this morning. Number two, we won't experience God's blessing if we pretend to be something that God didn't create us to be. We're not going to experience God's blessing if we're pretending to be someone or something that God never created us to be. So this is the beginning of Jacob's plot to get the blessing of his father. 
Now think about this for a minute. When we're all about getting ahead, what we have is never enough, right? When we have that mentality of we, we need to get ahead, we need to move forward, what God has provided for us or what we have right now is never enough. We just keep trying to get more. And we often think about this in light of possessions, but the truth is we do the same thing with our image. It's not enough to be thin, right? We have to be thinner. It's not enough to be ripped if you go to the gym. You have to be ripped-er, right? My kids can't just be smart. They have to be smart-er. We all have we all have a tendency to live in the land of Ur sometimes. But the problem with pursuing Ur is that there is always someone who is more Ur, someone who is Ur-Ur, right? <laughs> and this is the mentality that leads Jacob down the road of wanting to steal what rightfully belonged to his brother. It didn't belong to him. But he saw the Ur in his brother, and he said, I have to be Ur-Ur than my brother. You know, throughout this series, we're going to talk more about the other events in Jacob's life, but I want to give you a little glimpse of who Jacob was. The book of Genesis tells us that Esau was the field and stream guy, right? He was on the cover. That was who he was. Esau could hunt and fish and take care of himself. Then the Bible says this about Jacob. The Bible says, he dwelt among the tents. And this was the ancient literature way of describing a mama's boy, okay? (laughs) He dwelt among the tents. Jacob could cook. And Jacob had other talents, but he did not have the talents of his brother. They were different. God wired him differently. This helps you understand a little bit of why Jacob was constantly looking at his brother, constantly wanting to grab the heel and pull him back a little bit. At one point, Jacob convinces his hungry brother to sell his rights as firstborn for a bowl of soup. (laughs) We're going to talk about this a little bit more in next week's message, how we give up what we want most for what we want now. We do that way too often. We give up what we want most in life for what we feel we need right now. Jacob knows that the birthright isn't his to have, that he shouldn't be defined by it, but he cons his brother Esau into giving it to him anyway. He's pretending to be something that he's not. And then Jacob takes this pretending thing to a whole nother level. Okay, let's look at Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 15. It says this, Then Rebekah, Jacob's mom, took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and she put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread that she had made. So I want to paint this picture for you. When Jacob's dad is dying, Jacob wants this blessing so bad, and time is ticking. So he tricks his father into giving him the blessing that is meant for his older brother Esau. So when Isaac is dying, he asks Esau to hunt him some wild game and bring it back to be cooked so that they can have this ceremony in order to bless Esau before Isaac dies. So Jacob's mom hears about this, and she tells Jacob that he should trick his father into blessing him instead by putting goat skins all over his body and by pretending to be like his brother Esau. So there's a couple of things here. Number one, what kind of family is this, really? (laughs) I mean, even in that little summary that I just gave you, what is going on in this family? Mom, son, dad, older son, manipulation, tricking. What is is wrong with Jacob's mom in this story? What is going on with Rebecca? 
you know, I know that Isaac was sick and all, but this is a whole nother thing. Really? A goat skin? Like, how sick is this man? Have you ever petted a goat? Ah, yes, this is my older son, for sure. It's got to be him. Now, you know, we can all feel a little bit bad for Jacob. His mom talked him into this really, really bad idea of putting animal skins on, on him to act hairy and talking uh, like his brother to his father who's going blind. We can all feel bad for Jacob, but here's the one thing you need to know. The Bible is very, very accurate as far as dating and, and historical dates and ages of people. And when you look at the timeline of Jacob, you could feel bad for him, except for at this point, Jacob is 70 years old. Listen, Jacob lived to be 147, so this is kind of the middle of his life. But at this point, when mama is playing into all this, Jacob is 70 years old. And that's a little bit old to be blaming things on your mom, all right? At some point, you've got to take ownership for your life. And I think by 70, Jacob probably ought to be stepping up and taking ownership. Now, Jacob had most of his kids to a number of wives between the age of 80 and like 110 years old. So uh, lifespan and longevity was a little older. But if you've been on the planet for 70 years, I think you need to start to take some ownership of some of these things. Parents, there's a huge lesson here. There's a huge lesson here. You have to be careful what you put on our kids, what we try to make them into that they're not. Are we trying to make our kids into something that God has not designed them to be? Are we trying to create a blessing for them that God did not desire for them to have? He has a different blessing for them. We have to be careful that we don't try to dictate that ourselves. In fact, all of us need to be careful of what we let others put on us that we're not. What Jacob does seems crazy. He's dressing up like someone he's not to get something that's not his. What kind of person does that? We do. We do. Don't we all put costumes on, on ourselves to get things that we think we need? You know, I can tell you, I know that there are days that I put on the, the costume of a pastor, dad, husband who has it all together that day when that's not at all what I'm feeling inside in that moment. The filters... I put on that show everyone that the good stuff um, is present, but it's all really in an effort to hide what I'm really experiencing in that day. And here's the question that I would pose to you. What costumes are you putting on that are creating a gap between the person that you think you should be and the person that God really intended you to be? What are you pretending to be? Jacob got the blessing by pretending to be someone he wasn't. If you look at verse 18, it says this. He went to his father and he said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Jacob has become so good at being someone he isn't that even the people closest to him in his life still can't tell that he's living a lie. So Esau came back from hunting immediately after to discover that Jacob had stolen his blessing. And now you have to remember that Esau was a hunter and Jacob was a chef. And everyone knows that this, isn't, this is going to go badly, okay? So Esau is angry and he threatens Jacob's life. And Jacob's mom, of course, steps in and says, Jacob, you need to run away. You need to get out of here. But because of his deception, Jacob had to spend the next 20 years of his life, more than 20 years of his life, running from his brother. 
because of the deception that he chose. You know, is it possible to get what you want but not want what you get? And I think the answer is yes. He got exactly what he wanted, but he never got to enjoy it. And if the way that you get the blessing isn't really out of who you are, if the way that you're seeking blessing in your life is not out of who God created you to be, it's not the blessing that was meant for you. And you will probably never get to enjoy what it is that you're trying to get. Because what you're seeking after and what you might even get is not the blessing that God had for you and it will never satisfy your soul. God can't bless who we pretend to be. We don't fool God with our disguises in life. And the blessings that we get when we pretend are not even real blessings that we can fully enjoy for ourselves. God embraces who we are. God embraces complicated people. God can't embrace a pretend version of us because we know it's all fake and we won't even let him. And when we embrace the complicated people that God created us to be, when we embrace our true identity, then we're able to fully enjoy the blessings that God brings to us, the blessings that he actually intended for us to have. So let me let you in on a little secret this morning. My experience has been that I am never fulfilled. The blessing that I receive never measures up when I'm pretending to be something that God didn't create me to be. But listen to this this morning. When I embrace the complicated creation that I am, I can experience God's blessing in a way that I never thought would be possible. Because truth be told, when my wife posts pictures on Facebook that make me look like a super dad or husband, it feels pretty good. And on occasion, when I go in there and I see a bunch of comments that people made about me or my family, it feels nice. It feels good to think that people think of me as that image, whatever that might be. And I think we all enjoy that. But I can tell you what feels even better for me and what is more satisfying to my soul, where I've received maybe the greatest blessings are the moments in my life when whether it's Jen or, or my kids or any of you have seen me at my worst moments, frustrated, upset, tired, and where God in those moments has given me the grace to embrace the complicated person that I am and go back and maybe apologize and receive love and acceptance and grace from people in my life who truly love me for who I am because that's the real love and acceptance. And it's not based on my performance. That's grace. And that's the way that God loves us. And it's authentic and it's real. And maybe we don't put on actual costumes in life when we pretend like Jacob did, but the figurative costumes that we put on are an effort to be what we aren't so we can try to get what we think that we need, but we lose ourselves. And I want to ask you this morning, what good is it to have that blessing that will do you no good? And Jesus said this, he said, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose yourself in the process? What good was the blessing that Jacob got from his father when he couldn't enjoy it? He spent the next 20 plus years running. He couldn't enjoy that blessing. Listen, I want you to hear this this morning. If you're here and you're a young lady, what good is it to dress up like someone you aren't in order to get the attention of people who won't ever love you for who you are? What good is it to gain their attention 
but lose yourself in the process. Young men, I want you to hear this this morning. How long have you been hiding your emotions because you think if you don't act hard or you don't act tough or you don't act indifferent, other people will think less of you? What good is it to gain their respect but lose yourself in the process? What good is it for any of us to hide who God created us to be by pretending to be who we think others want us to be? Here's what I want you to hear today. You're complicated, but God loves and embraces complicated people. You may be worried that the you, the real you, if that was seen, isn't good enough. You might feel that the gap between who people see and who you want to be is too large. But I think the point that God is trying to get Jacob to see is that all of, of, all of this, all of this is God's desire for Jacob to find his true identity and his true blessing wrapped up in who God designed him to be. And that his blessing was based on a lot more than just his ability to deceive and grab someone's heel and push himself ahead. And this is the third principle that I want you to see this morning. We will experience God's blessing when we seek to find our identity in Christ. We will experience God's blessing when we seek to find our identity in Christ. So we're going to fast forward again, and we're going to take one final look at this stop in Jacob's life, where Jacob is much older, and he's gone through a lot. He's been on quite a journey. And where we pick up in uh, Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, Jacob is now still avoiding his older brother Esau 20-plus years later. And when Jacob left town after stealing the blessings, if you remember, he didn't leave on the best terms with Esau. So he hasn't seen his brother. He's been running. He's been avoiding him for 20 plus years. At this point, Jacob has had a lot of children. Um, His life has moved forward, but it's not been involved with his brother or his family. So it says this in verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives and his two servant wives. And this is a whole different message that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Jacob took his two wives and his two servant wives and his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And I want to pause there for just a second because some of our best interactions with God, some of the times when we need to wrestle things out with God, can only happen when we take the time to get alone with God, when we take the time to really seek him. And this is what Jacob did in this moment. It says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob's still seeking the blessing, but this time maybe seeking it in the right way. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and you have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And there's so much in this passage, so much that we could dig into. But if you haven't figured it out already, uh, the man that Jacob wrestled with um, was an angel, or some say it was um, kind of a a picture of God or, or, or 
God, someone God had sent um, to represent him in that moment that Jacob was wrestling in. So, you know, it's believed at this time that Jacob was about 96 years old when this happened. It's no wonder his hip went out, huh? <laughs> 96 years old. Keep in mind, Jacob lived to be 147. So Jacob was about two-thirds of the way through life, still wrestling, still wrestling. Now, he's been through so much that Jacob has actually come to the place where he's realized that what he has is not what he needs. So his hip goes out, and the man says, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Incidentally, you may or may not know this, but do you know this is the passage from which we got the name for our church when we were naming our church? One translation says that after Jacob wrestled with the angel, it says, at daybreak, all things were new. When we planted daybreak, we said, God, we want this to describe us as a church family. God, we're going to hold on even when it hurts. We're not going to let go of you until you give us your blessing. We just want to be who you created us to be. We want to be an authentic people. And you know what? You know you're at a new place when you're willing to hold on to God even when it hurts. You know you're at a good spot when you say, God, I'm hanging on to you even through this pain. I'm seeking your blessing. And here's the good news in Jacob's life. This is the good news. After that wrestling match, Jacob's, Jacob discovers who he needed to be wrestling with his whole life. He had wrestled with men, but he knew he needed to take this to God. And you have to get to a certain place in your life where you're able to be able to say, I'm sick of pretending. I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of trying to be something I'm not. God, I just want to be who you want me to be. So in verse 30, it says this. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. I want to say this again. You have to get to a certain place in life where you're willing to say, I'm sick of pretending. I'm tired of comparing. I'm, trying, I'm tired of trying to be something that I'm not. God, I just want to be who you want me to be. God, I just want to be who you created me to be, and I want to receive your blessing. In Exodus chapter 3, this is jumping ahead. It's not in your outline this morning, but in Exodus chapter 3, God told Moses that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Keep in mind, this is after God renamed Jacob. He renamed him to Israel, he, but he didn't say, I want to be the God of Israel. He said, I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. He wanted to be known as the God of the guy who was the heel grabber. God isn't interested in just the parts of us that are pretty. He's the God of our failures. He's the God of our self-centeredness. Everything will change in your life when you admit, I'm Jacob, and I want Jacob's blessing. Because God says, I will be the God of Jacob too. And this is the good news for us. God is the God of Jacob. God is the God of complicated people. And he is the God of your complicated life as well. He embraces you in all of your messiness. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?
Some of you this morning, you need to lose yourself. You need to lose your drivenness to succeed. Some of you might, this morning might need to lose your striving to impress others with this image that you're trying to create. Some of you this morning might need to lose your dream for a perfect home or a perfect family or, or job or relationship or life or whatever it is that you think will mean that you've finally arrived. You need to let go of that today. You know, if we can just stop trying to be someone else and just be who God created us to be, we'll be able to start right there and experience God's love and his embrace. God wants us to be real with him, to lose all the striving, to lose all the pretending. God wants us to put ourselves in his presence and ask him to meet us right there this morning, just as we are, and to hold on to him and to say, God, I want your blessing for me. I don't want to try to get somebody else's blessing. I'm content with who you made me to be, and I want to live that life out fully, God. And I want your blessing for my life. If that's you this morning, maybe you just want to pray this prayer. God, I'm sick of pretending. I'm tired of comparing. I'm tired of trying to be something that I'm not. I just want to be who you want me to be. God, I just want to be who you made me to be. And I want to receive your blessing. God, would you help me to just embrace the complicated person that I am, that you created me to be. And Lord, would you help me to see myself the way that you see me, as your beloved son or daughter, who was worth paying the ultimate sacrifice for. God, I want to receive the blessing that you intended for me that will satisfy my soul. And I thank you, Jesus, for making a way for that. Amen. Amen.